the Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Bill on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? You're lucky, Tom. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current-day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to americanschismbook.com. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. As we roll into the second hour of our three-hour tour, we shift gears, and uh, we're going to talk about pets. In the last 20 years, pets have gone from wandering the backyard to sleeping on our beds and showing up in every corner of America. My guest this hour is the founding partner and CEO of the Animal Policy Group and a Stanford Honors graduate. He's also the author of a new book called Pet Nation, the inside story of how companion animals are transforming our homes, culture, and economy. He is Mark L. Cushing, and he joins me by phone. Hi, Mark. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Tom. Look forward to it. Well, let's see. Um... Pets are not new. Um, we have examples of, of dogs and cats back in Egyptian um, pyramids and tombs and so on. What's what's new about pets, though? Well, uh, let me assure you, back in the day, so to speak, in in uh, B.C. time era, or even in the medieval Renaissance and early modern Europe, pets were the uh, privilege of the elite, the ruling class in, in every sense of that word, uh, or they were laborers. Dogs basically worked the fields, 
cats came over on ships to the U.S. Uh, when the you know the East Europeans settled the Eastern Seaboard and were basically sanitation workers uh, hired to kill and eat all the rats and mice, so it didn't destroy the food and the wine. And had that same job in cities, including Detroit and uh, upper Midwest cities, for a long time. Then they were fired and turned into kind of uh, the target of a lot of uh, public health efforts to eradicate cats, believe it or not. So, move forward to early 2000, uh, quite a change. I mean, basically, we have close to 200 million pet cats and dogs in the U.S., and it was a change in, in, in a couple of ways, and the book talks about that and tells a lot of stories and analyzes what it all meant. One thing was uh, pets came inside during the childhood of most um, baby boomers, and they came inside for different reasons, but when they came inside, people began to discover uh, what's called the human-animal bond, which is a medical scientific fact of how the brain works, where if you engage with a pet, and there's studies after studies, in fact, there's 32,000 entry, entries of studies and articles in the Purdue Veterinary School Library, not too far from you, and what they show, they show that your oxytocin level goes up, which is a source of happiness and relaxation and calm joy, and your cortisol level goes down, which is a source of anxiety and stress. Um, and so there's a physical thing that occurs. And I don't think people read a book and ran out and bought a pet, but they began to appreciate that, number one. So that change occurred. And then media played a big role, even before social media. Hard for your audience to even imagine such a time, right? But, um, <laughs> no. uh, but, but, it, but truly, you had on TVs, movies, uh, commercials. It all began with the greatest dog in the history of the world, Lassie, whose author of that story that origin originally created Lassie was a friend of Charles Dickens. So that goes way back to okay, the 18th century. But in any event, uh, you began to see pets depicted, dogs and cats, some in cartoon form and otherwise, um, as loyal, fun, courageous, brave, trustworthy, you know, by the side of Timmy's bed, kind of a situation, and, and it, so it jived with the pets coming indoors, and then to some extent what I think kicked this off was the, at the time I'm sure, viewed as crazy decision by Subaru and Nissan car manufacturers to run ads where all they did was show a dog in the passenger seat of a car along a California coastal highway, hair flowing in the wind, smile on its face, and I'm sure the CEO of those companies thought, you know, well, you're going to tell people about the car, engine, mileage, and so forth. And the advertiser said, no, no, we just, all we want them to do is see a dog associated with our brand. And I've looked at that and I've read the studies about the sales and, and you know, what a dramatic change just to depict the dog in the car and assume people might buy that make and model. It was true. So... Now you well, and, and, and before that, I you know I was thinking back to uh, the the scantily clad women sprawled out on cars in the '60s, and then it kind of <laughs> and then it kind of switched, and now it's you know it, it's it's a different version of man's best friend, I guess. Well, it is, and and, and what then married to that was the the emergence of social media. And, and smartphones, basically, and people became their own, as you know, directors and producers of little 30-second, two-minute uh, 
videos. It used to be dominated by kids and babies, not so much now, right? So you saw pets become this sort of common factor across the country. You could be in rural Maine, the up, upper peninsula in, in your state, or you could be in San Diego or L.A., and you might have the same breed of dog, and you can't wait to see the next version of somebody you've never met or are going to meet, but they become your friend in effect. So it was an interesting evolution. It, 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 the country wasn't prepared for it in terms of business, veterinary medicine, health care, legal policies, access, and all those issues. And, and figuratively speaking, dog owners just took dogs right out the front door everywhere in the country. You mentioned that at the start of the show. And, and a lot of the story is about the challenges of doing that. I mean, I, I had someone the other day say, why, why should somebody bring a dog into Home Depot? And it's not because of the dog. It's because the person <laughs> thinks it would be more fun. And they're not going to be the only one. So it's a, it's a real change, and, and it, it's transformed our culture and society. It's not just transformed how we deal with pets. So the impact of pets went from being a sideshow, kind of an accessory in your backyard, and even veterinary medicine was sort of a sideshow. It was just little, little clinics down roads people didn't usually drive. And uh, now pets are the center of culture. They're the center of families. Uh, and people will say, well, they replace kids. And that's an insult to pets. They have a much better deal than kids have. Uh, and, and frankly, they don't have a teenage phase. So uh, it's, it's, it's quite <laughs> remarkable. And, and so anyway, that's, that's, that's in shorthand what happened. Uh, yeah, but in real life, Mark, doesn't doesn't the puppy phase kind of make up for the teenage phase? Well, they, <laughs> uh, here's the deal. It, 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 it would make up for it, except they're, they're so damn cute, right? <laughs> you just, they just, you can't stay mad. You can, you can stay mad at your teenage daughter. I, I had four daughters and a son. I, I could stay mad for a little while, but with my puppy, not a chance. I mean, you know, you can be mad for two minutes at most, maybe a minute. And then they do something else. They come up and lick your face and it's like, all right, all right. We can replace that vase. Yeah, that lamp can be replaced. Good point. Uh, so anyway, it's, it's, it's quite a story. Well, you know, just sticking with this, this history for, for just a, a minute or two, um, I want to get into some of the, legal battles and and health considerations and and some of the other aspects of your book but um as far as the midwest which you mentioned goes um it was really until early in the 20th century that that whole region of the country was largely agrarian and people had all kinds of animals on their farms and ranches and cows and chickens and pigs and goats and sheep and all kinds of stuff and and then they started moving into the cities and they didn't have that connection with animals anymore um is is there some overlap there or some replacement yes. going on do you think yeah, very much I and mean, of course you still have you know farms uh, across the country, Midwest and elsewhere, sure. and, and they have multiple species. And you always had cats whose job was to, you know, get rid of the rats in your barn and so forth. Um, but what changed was 
uh, an interesting term. It'll sound academic, but it's really pretty simple. It's called the social capital of pets. And that's something in Pet Nation, in my book, I, I spent quite a bit of time on. What's that? So it's one thing to say you feel better personally. You exercise, you're healthier if you are engaged with pets. Okay. But a series of studies were done. One was in Perth in Western Australia on the Indian Ocean, which i have been lucky enough to be, go there, but if you picture it, it's sort of San Diego. The other study were three cities in the U.S., uh, Portland, Oregon, where I come from originally, San Diego, and Nashville, uh, you know, Tennessee. And in a blind study trying to determine what makes a community or a neighborhood work better, work better defined as people aren't lonely, they're not isolated, they have some contact with each other. There's less fear. There's more trust. There's more engagement. Okay, all these factors. And they looked at churches, schools, sports, civic involvement, music, you name it. And you can guess what was number one, right? Pets, mainly dogs. And they actually are a glue in a community. And you can go to Manhattan in New York. You can go to Detroit, Chicago, wherever. You can go to as urban a setting as you want in America. And what are you going to see? You're going to see a lot of dogs. You can walk down Fifth Avenue in New York, and there may be a dog handler with six Afghans coming right at you. You know, each one looks like a horse, right? And they don't get out of the way. They don't move. <laughs> you, know, you get out of the way. And, but, but the point being is that people, I think, you could argue it was isolation and, and just the joy of pets, but they, they found ways to have big dogs in small apartments or small dogs or cats. Uh, and, and birds and everything else that we have as a pet. And yes, it, it, it had a replacement value and it, it, it presented dogs and cats in a very different light. And that's where what kicked in, I mentioned, you know, a few minutes ago uh, in terms of coming inside and being part of the media. And, and suddenly they literally are everywhere. And that's, it, it's happened in, it's accelerated or been on steroids the last 20 years. Yeah, you say, in, in you say since pieces. 1998, the pet population in the U.S. has almost doubled and over two-thirds of Americans now own a pet? Yeah, it, I'll tell you what, it's, it's pushed up to 70%. The pet population's growth has, has vastly lapped or outrun human population. And the interesting thing now here in you know, fall of 2021 60 plus percent, 60 plus percent of all pets are owned by millennials and Gen Zs. So these are kids and grandkids of baby boomers. They grew up with a pet, and what's changed is that they don't have one dog, they have two, or a dog and a cat or two cats. And during the pandemic, when people read about first-time pet owners going to a shelter or finding out a way to buy a pet as a quarantine, a lot of that activity were millennials and Gen Zs getting a second pet or a third pet. Mark, and I have to put a comma here. I have a break coming up. Can you stick around a little bit so we can talk some more? Hey, I'm all yours. Mark Cushing is my guest. He is the author of a new book called Pet Nation, the inside story of how companion animals are transforming our homes, culture, and economy. We're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze in a few words or do whatever they do when we go to break, and we will return. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you are listening to the Tom Sumner Program. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place with magical charms, indoors, indoors, indoors.
Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue now with my conversation with the author of a new book called Pet Nation, the inside story of how companion animals are transforming our homes, culture, and economy. His name is Mark L. Cushing, and he joins me by phone. Mark, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. Nope. Uh, you, you've got a great sense of humor on your show, I can tell already. <laughs> so I'm uh, pleased to start my week this way. Go ahead. Well, just before the break, we were talking um, a little bit about how pet ownership has grown and evolved. In fact, uh, um, I've, I've even seen it debated as to who owns who. <laughs> the, sure. The, the human or the animal. Um but we also were talking about, you know, how this this evolved from, you know, the days of people living on farms and moving into cities. And, and now, and, and you brought up the point about the, uh, the six Afghans living in a New York apartment. Um, but let's talk a little bit about some of the implications of that um, because now it's uh, you know what happens if if my dog bites your dog and and there there's litigation and there's uh, um, leash laws and all kinds of things have had to evolve how, how did that all start well there were rules and laws for decades that restricted movement of and access to pets. And so it's it's not been what you might think where with this with the surge in ownership and the number of dogs, particularly outside, that city councils rushed into place restrictions. It was more that they've been there and they and they, they kind of manage situations. You haven't seen any surge in dog bites and things like that. So you have a better managed, if you will, a better trained pet owner, pet parent population uh, to start with. But um, the couple of challenges are very interesting. One is access to pet-friendly apartments, particularly low-income apartments. And that's a challenge right now. You, you have on the books laws that say federally funded apartments are pet-friendly. You have a state like New Jersey, which says all apartments for seniors, whether they were paid for by the government or private developers, have to be pet-friendly. And I couldn't find anybody in the state of New Jersey when my research team did a study that even knew about the law, let alone was involved in enforcing it or advising people that they had the rights to do it. So you still have access issues. You have a misnomer. A lot of people think, you know, my apartment's going to lose value if there's pets in it. The truth is pet owners are willing to pay higher rents. They'll pay pet-related policies. They will rent faster and they will stay longer. Um, and if you had a choice of having an apartment with pets or eight college students, uh, I'm not sure which one leaves the apartment in worse, worse shape. So there's on the millennial front, particularly uh, new apartments, you're seeing them almost all pet friendly because the developers have figured out if you're not pet friendly, you're not going to rent your place. That's it. That's a change. You have pets now pushing the envelope in malls sidewalk cafes, they still can't be in kitchens. You know, France seems to let pets come inside to have dinner. You don't see that in the States. 
Um, but I don't you know, know. They're it, pretty it, close to that in L.A. Yeah, it, they are close. But I'll tell you the biggest change. And, and there's a great study. Uh, uh, a good friend of mine that I, I work with often, um, Carrie O'Hara, for Nationwide Pet Insurance. And a lot of folks know Nationwide Insurance based in Columbus, Ohio. And they did a study of 1,500 employees that work in companies that have 100 employers or more across the country. Up to 1,500, 1,000 owned pets, 500 didn't. And they studied their reaction to pet-friendly workplaces. There was almost no difference between pet-owning employees and employees that didn't have a pet. They liked their company significantly better if it was pet-friendly. They liked their boss better. They liked their fellow employees better. And they would stay there and remain at that company longer. So the notion that there's no way I'm letting the dog into our office is now challenged. That particularly as people begin to go back to work, of course, the new Delta strain and all that, you know, slowed all that down. But basically, there's going to be much more pressure. And I think it'll be successful to say to companies, come on, find a way to have dogs be here in some manner. And and isn't that interesting? I mean, if companies, you might see uh, a grocery store on Main Street where the owner sat outside with his, his trusted retriever, but basically dogs were not in workplaces. They weren't in hospitals even 20 or 25 years ago. You can't find a hospital, I challenge you, in Michigan, or if you could, it'd be, you could count them on one hand, that don't have animal assistance dogs <clears throat> who are not only in the hospital, but they're part of therapy. They're part of the treatment program. So those changes uh, are, are continuing and, and expanding the reach. Will there ever be a place you can't take a pet? Sure, but it'll be fewer and fewer, I'm sure. Well, you mentioned the, the kitchen, but yet restaurants are becoming more pet-friendly, especially if they have uh, outdoor dining. Yeah, outdoor dining has its own rules. Not everyone, but most are, are finding it. And again, Tom, they're serving that millennial and Gen Z population who, you know, all you have to do is go to Yelp and find out if I can have my dog outside. If the answer is I can't, I'll find one in your city that, that, that does allow that. So the marketplace is forced to change, not just the owner's good, goodwill and love of pets. And, and that's true everywhere now. Um, the inside issue is different. There's public health concerns about inside the kitchen, and th that's a restriction. Grocery stores can't have dogs if, if they have access to the dairy area or the meat area. So, you know, it's, it's still regulated, and, and it should be. I'm not making the case it shouldn't be. But, uh, but otherwise, uh, tell me the place you can't have a pet, and it's, it's, it's fewer and fewer. How has the concept of, of companion animals changed and evolved over the last 20, 25 years? Well, who goes into that category? Dogs who before, while they had a companion function, often had a laboring function as well. Cats were, again, sanitation workers. They were the rat killers and mice hunters. Um, so there's been a, uh, it wasn't that it was never present, but they became companions and clearly are all in now as companions for about 70% of American households. Um, you can well, add I'm horses thinking to about, that. Mark, I'm thinking about when I was a kid, 
the only time you saw dogs outside of someone's home was generally seeing eye dogs. Yes, or if you were a hunter and you went hunting and uh, well, you know, yeah, of you course, went, bird hunting in particular. But yeah, no, I, I think that's true, and that it 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 was part of this process of coming inside and then wanting to have that companionship extend on a weekend or an evening uh, from just sitting in your living room looking at your your cute little puppy to let's take a walk but let's create a dog park right let's create an area where they can play with each other and it, it just it began one by one stories are written and i did a study once and it seemed like every tuesday when people read print newspapers across the country every tuesday would be the pet day and the living section or lifestyle section of the newspaper would feature some heartwarming story or just fun cute story about a dog or a cat and people began to see people doing things going yeah that'd be fun why don't i try that um people took dogs on beaches in california and they took dogs on hiking i, I grew up outside portland oregon and people hike religiously it seems like in that that area i don't live there now but uh and you began to see dogs all the time on a trail and at first it was kind of annoying like how do i get around that german shepherd to uh yeah here's my dog you know and it's uh that 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 was wasn't planned it wasn't directed there weren't marching orders for people they just did it and found others doing it with them and then they started capturing on social media and, and it and, and sort of the barn door was open, and you, you can't you can't pull that back. And that's one of the points I make is that anybody who thinks pets are a fad, um, sorry, they're not beanie babies. They're not hula hoops. <laughs> you know, pets aren't pets aren't going away. And in fact, the the number of pets in America will increase, provided what we have enough dogs, and that's an issue. But uh, it's been a challenge, and one topic we might discuss. It's it's relevant to Michigan right now, and in, in your legislature has to do with pet health care. Um, that is fascinating. I spend most of my day involved with companies uh, in the pet health care space around the country. And uh, millennials and Gen Zs, they want the same quality and scale of health care for their pets as they get for themselves, period. And they'll pay for it. And veterinary medicine wasn't ready for it. They just weren't ready for that model. It was a great problem to have. But they weren't taught in vet schools and they hadn't built practices. And Michigan's a good example to, to accommodate it. So what's one of the solutions? It's been borrowed from human medicine, which is telemedicine. And Michigan's one of the most progressive states in the country in giving veterinarians the freedom, if they want, to use telemedicine, Zoom, smartphones, <clears throat> to, to give good advice to help pet parents and relieve the pressure on coming into clinics. And right now there's a bill in the Michigan legislature that would, would curtail that dramatically. Uh, the Michigan Board of Veterinary Medicine has passed really smart regulations allowing telemedicine to continue to be utilized in, in Michigan. Again, if, if a veterinarian's comfortable and the pet owner's comfortable, but um, there's a bill right now that would, would uh, pull that back dramatically and, and you listeners ought to think about that and that they're if they've enjoyed telemedicine, don't want to wait in the parking lot, or sometimes you're taking a pet into a clinic that's already jam-packed because you simply don't know what's going on with your dog or cat. And why not use telemedicine to give you good advice and be able to say to you, you're okay, don't rush in. 
Uh, we have a situation now where in many cities, I can't say it's, I don't have the numbers for Detroit or Lansing or Ann Arbor or Flanders, some of the bigger cities in Michigan, but in many cities right now, it's a 48-hour wait, a two-day wait to get into an emergency clinic. And you know what that means? It's not an emergency clinic anymore. I just did a long interview with the Fox LA affiliate a week ago on that story because a close friend of the producers of the show, dog died in LA. They could not find a veterinarian over a two-day weekend. And so telemedicine dramatically relieves a lot of pressure. It, it, it gives people the advice they need. It calms them down. It steadies them if it's not an emergency situation. And, and so that's a, that's a real pressure point right now. It's, it's a battle inside veterinary medicine in Michigan right now is ground zero for it. You know, when we first started talking, Mark, you mentioned uh, some of the, the health benefits to people simply by their being around animals and having animals as companions. Is that mental health or physical health? How does, how does that presence impact people, and how does the presence of people impact the animal? Great point. Uh, number one, George Mason University did a study, uh, I think it was around 2017 or 18, so it's still fairly recent, that conservatively estimated $11 billion in savings in the human medical system because of people's engagement with pets. All the things I mentioned, plus exercise and various activities that, that improve human performance and human health. Um, this human-animal bond, the oxytocin and cortisol impact we talked about earlier, the same thing happens for dogs and cats. So there's a mutual benefit. It's not like we're abusing animals for our benefit. They're getting the same enjoyment, the same stress reduction, the same calm and relaxation and happiness, if you will, uh, improvement by engaging with people as we do with them. Um, but the great news studies, and, and they, they cover the landscape. I mean, it, I'm talking about um, hundreds of peer-reviewed studies, thousands, literally. Let me give examples. A study of, of preteens getting heart surgery, that if they were with their dog, not, you know, shortly before their surgery, so in the hospital, but they could be with their pet, you could significantly reduce the amount of medications they need after the surgery. So think about it. Those pain meds are often opioids. And, you know, what a good thing that is. Seniors in nursing homes, particularly low-income nursing homes, where you have a real problem where seniors don't eat on a regular basis and they, and they just simply lose too much weight. Watching an aquarium, watching fish in an aquarium has been shown and how they eat regularly has caused seniors to eat more. Um, autistic children, tremendous number of studies here. Pets don't cure autism. Let me make that real clear. I mean, bold headline here. I'm not saying that. What they found is that they significantly reduce tension and improve connectivity and communication within a family where there's an autistic child or an autistic adult um, and have meaningful impact. PTSD veterans back from Iraq or Afghanistan, wherever it may be, um, if a dog's involved in therapy, if a dog's with them during their therapy, Notre Dame, uh, I mean, a Purdue study, Molly O'Hare, incredible study, showed significant improvement and acceleration of results and therapy 
if the dog's present. Teenage girls that have been victim of sexual assaults, studies of, of being able to be with horses and handle horses, tremendous impact on their recovery, which will be lifelong, I'm sure. I'm not trying to minimize that. My daughter is a prosecutor of, of uh, sexual assault felons, so I know that world well. Um, it doesn't cure them, but it, it accelerates and deepens and strengthens their recovery and ability to get on with their life. And then I can go on and on and on. These studies now take the kind of fun idea of pets and turn them into real therapeutic, if you will, partners. And, and it is mutual pet for human and human for pet. You seem to indicate that, by and large, uh, pet owners are pretty good to their animals. Um, by and large, <laughs> yeah, because qualifier. we and and we know the horrible outliers. You know the dog fights and the animals chained to trees, and you know we've we've seen all those horror stories. But by and large, people are pretty good to their companion animals, and the um question i have is in fact i think you used the phrase are pretty well educated is that because of groups like yours the animal policy group and PETA and others um, over the last several decades kind of drumming messages home about um, taking well, better it, care of animals a couple points there are real interesting um and I wouldn't take credit for my animal policy group. We have, you know, business clients and, you know, we, we advocate for pets, but I don't want to claim that I've changed people's attitudes about behavior. Uh, PETA is a special case. There's other animal welfare organizations, Michigan Humane, ASPCA, uh, uh, American Humane. There's lots of local groups that have had big impact there. PETA actually believes pets are slaves and and they they have literature on their and their website they don't talk about it much that you know pets should be free but i if you told a shih tzu when you took it out to the edge of town and and and, and flint and said bye honey you're free now uh you know the coyotes would be cheering um but i'm not so sure the dogs would be uh would, would think that concept of freedom made much sense but uh but a lot of groups local and national have had a big big impact Here's a fact, though, that, that, that I think it's disturbing, but it's, if you think about it, it makes sense. Quite a few studies have shown that adult domestic violence offenders, men that you know, rape, beat, torture, harm women, it's usually men to women, um, in some cases uh, kill them, uh, trained, if you will, got their start abusing animals, almost like it's spring training. And, and there's been a strong linkage between animal abuse as a child, you know, whether you light a frog on fire or you drop a dog from a, a bridge or, you know, whatever weird, stupid, you know, uh, dangerous, <laughs> unforgivable thing here. Um, they end up as adult felons, hopefully, if they're caught. Um, and so that linkage is is quite interesting and so it, it has put a premium on trying to cause parents coaches adults that are around children to keep an eye out if, if you see someone 
torture me and thinking it's fun to to to, to harm an animal um get involved that's that can go somewhere beyond just one dog one cat one you know bird whatever it might be mark um when did uh pet nation come out pet nation the paperback's out tomorrow okay so uh th thanks for mentioning it the, the hardbound came out during covid at the peak really a year ago um but uh there's a lot of new material and, and uh, uh, more attention paid to cats. So it, it's out by on paperback tomorrow. It's uh, Penguin Random House is the publisher. You can get it all the usual places. You can get books online or hopefully people are going back to bookstores these days. Um, and uh, it's... Uh, what are you I, hoping... I think, you know, what are you hoping ahead. people will get out of the book? Well, um, two things. The, every book should have a single goal, right? Of being a good read. People just were enjoyed it, enjoyed the read, were entertained, were stimulated in one case. And I, I've, a lot of folks that have read the book have said to me they thought they knew everything about pets and that apparently they didn't think they knew anything uh, once they read the book. So it, it's chock full of a lot of information, a lot of stories, um, a lot of connecting the dots. And so if you're, if you're a pet parent, you're interested in pets, um, you'll learn a lot, and it, it just—I would—I would hope it would expand and kind of enrich your view of pets, not just your dog or your cat, but just pets in in America and in the world. Number one, so it's a good read, and I think it for people in the in the business of pets or, or public policymakers like legislators in Michigan, it raises a lot of issues and highlights the what I call pets are the cheapest medicine in America. You, you, you want to you lower the temperature right now in America. You want to create some common bonds that don't exist. Pets are the best way to do it. And so I, I, I make the very provocative uh, I think uh, it was, promise. That I, I, I think it was yeah. Harry Truman who said, um, if you want a friend in Washington, get a dog. Love that quote. Yeah, <laughs> love that quote. Yeah, no, it was, it was, it was it, the quote, a dog's the man's best friend came out of a lawsuit in Harry Truman's Missouri back in the 1800s. And it's, uh, that's a great story. So no, it's, I, I think that's true. And so, you know, I, I make the case that we need more pets in America. And a lot of people go, oh my God, you mean more dogs in the sidewalk? Well, <laughs> if you, if you believe pets make people and communities better, why not? I don't think people should be forced to have a pet. Well, Mark, I, unfortunately, we're out of time, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website? Sure do. Uh, MarkLCushing.com is my author website. Um, I think I put my middle initial in because the name is otherwise taken. So MarkLCushing.com, uh, Animal Policy Group, dot com is our my business group you could read about but you might find the other one more interesting and then um obviously you can learn about the book pet nation all the different ways you can and uh, i appreciate the time with you by the way you ask great questions you really you really got to the heart of uh, what's going on i think so uh, well thanks mark uh, i appreciate thanks. that and uh, uh take care keep up the good work call me anytime you need Felt some time, but enjoyed it. Thank you very much. All right. Bye-bye.
Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck up. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination? A COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. Objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Oh, hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam. Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, Report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dina, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. 
I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. This has happened to me, I bet, four or five times, and I'm sure it's happened to most of you. You're invited to someone's house you haven't seen for some time, and they have a dog. They have a large, vicious dog, you see. But they've had this dog since it was a puppy, and they're very proud of it, and they're completely unaware of the fact that it's now a large, vicious dog, you see. And uh, you're kind of on the horns of a dilemma, because you don't know, uh, you know, you don't want to offend the guy by appearing ill at ease, and at the same time, you don't want to get eaten alive by this large monster, see. So you're invited to the guy's house, and usually it, it winds up the evening going uh, something like this. Oh, gee, this is a real nice place you got out here, Harry. Gee, I love this. I love this chair. Modern, isn't it? Yeah. It uh, seems kind of lonely out here, you know. There aren't too many houses around. I imagine it gets kind of lonely at night, doesn't it? Oh, you, you have a dog, do you? Oh, sure, I'd, I'd love to see him. Uh, where is he? In? in the backyard? Sure, let him in. Oh, yeah. fella. Hi. Hi, boy. Boy, he's uh, a lot heavier than he looks, isn't he, Harry? <laughs> well, you, well, you can keep you pinned to the chair like that with just his two front paws. <laughs> you, uh, you just beat him, did you, Harry? Uh, uh-huh. What'd you get, Harry? L- liver. Yeah. I, I thought that's what it was, Harry. He starts to bother me, just cuff him behind the ear. I sure will, Harry. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> what, uh, what, what kind of dog is he, Harry? Do- Doberman, is, is that right? <laughs> See, they, they make great watchdogs, don't they? <laughs> you nearly tore the burglar to pieces before you could get him off. <laughs> Hi there, fella. Hi, boy. <laughs> boy, you're a pretty dog. <laughs> what, I, what I like a what, Harry? A drink. Yeah, a drink would be fine, Harry. Uh, scotch and water. Uh, you aren't going to have to leave the room, are you, Harry? <laughs> Harry! Harry! Hi, hi there, fella. Hi. Hi, boy. I don't suppose you want to get down, boy, do you? Just, just stay like this. You want to play a little game, boy? Want to chase the fountain pen, boy? Chase, chase the fountain pen, boy. There you go, boy. Boy, you're a fast little dog, aren't you? Want to give me back the fountain pen, boy? Don't, don't want to give me back the pen, huh, boy? Chew it up good. That's the way, boy. Swallow it, boy. Maybe it'll stick in your... Hi, Harry. Yeah, yeah, we're getting, we're getting along just fine. No, no, he doesn't bother me at all. Oh, all right. Well, if you want to tell him to get down. Hi there, fella. Hi, boy. Oh, he sure looks harmless just laying there on the floor, didn't he? Yeah, he, he chewed my fountain pen, Harry. <laughs> kind of looks like a chow there with that blue tongue, doesn't he? <laughs> oh, oh, my drink, yeah. What, 
what what I do, Harry? Any any sudden movements? Is, is that right? Uh-uh. He, he was trained that way, was he? Uh-uh. Where'd you get him from, Harry? The army. <laughs> Who's army, Harry? Why'd they let him go, Harry? Don't don't tell me what he did to the general, Harry, would you? Uh, it, it was the general's fault, though. Uh, he, he acted afraid of the dog, did he? Uh, and and they can sense that. Is, is that right? Uh, just just to appear appear at ease on that. That'll make him relax. Uh, that 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 sure makes a lot of sense, Harry. Are you just? Uh, Cross your legs or, or say, a little too sudden was that, Harry? Let go by. Let go by. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, don't be silly. <laughs> no, the suit's almost a month old, Harry. Don't be silly. <laughs> no, he, he, he hardly, hardly broke the skin, Harry. <laughs> uh, what, would I like to see him what? Do his trick. What's, what's his trick, Harry? Roll over. Play dead, maybe, Harry? No. Make, make my hand into a fist and act like I'm going to attack you. <laughs> I, I believe you, Harry. I believe you. Listen, Harry, I've got to be going. I, I, no, no, I don't need any more ice, Harry. Harry, don't, don't take... I, I, don't, I don't need any... Harry. Hi there, fella. Hi, boy. <laughs> What, what, what are you growling at, boy? The gumdrops? You want, you want some of the gumdrops, boy? Hey, hey. Boy, you don't even chew it, do you, fella? <laughs> you want, want some more gumdrops, boy, do you? More, more gumdrops, fella. Yeah, hi, Harry. Oh, we're getting along fine now. We're real pals. Huh? Boy, he, he sure loves those gumdrops, doesn't he? Uh, only, only trouble is, when they're all gone, he doesn't understand. <laughs> they're, they're almost gone now, Harry. You, you want to you wanna fill the dish up with some more gumdrops? You, you don't have any more gumdrops. It's the last one, boy, all gone. Last... Last one. Let go, boy. Boy, let go. Where's he dragging me, Harry? Harry, get some more gumdrops. Harry! Harry! This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
closest friends Never mind the rest of us When you think anyone is wise to you Divert them with a fuss You should know they got you figured out Six ways to Sunday Ahead while you've been lying like a log You ain't fooling no one but the dog You think you're doing good Living high on the hog You ain't fooling no one but the dog Nah, you ain't fooling no one but the dog Alexander Zanjic, don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. <laughs> <laughs> 